I'm excited to talk to you about something this week that just, you know, we never, we never finish. We just stop, pick up where we left off. So if you would, just pray with me. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us to come here and worship together, your children, just a part of your family, to come here and to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to come closer to you, to build on the relationship that we have embarked upon with you. And we thank you for pouring into us, Father. Let us not leave here the same. Let us grow closer to you through the knowledge that you encourage us to gain regarding you so that we will be strong against the enemy's tactics and closer to you, knowing how much you care for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we've been learning last week, if you recall, about spiritual blessings. And we've seen through the word that we are, have been, blessed. It's a past tense. means it's a done deal. Ephesians 1.3, 2 Peter 1.3. Paul and Peter both open up those books of the Bible by telling us how much we already have. Spiritual blessings and spiritual places and And we do. It's all because of Jesus. The gospel, the good news, the almost too good to be true news says that through the atonement, atonement at one meant, made us one again with God because of Jesus. Through the atonement, we, Jesus has earned for us the blessing of God. The blessing has been commanded upon each one of us by God into the spiritual realm. And now these are not just blessings of forgiveness of sins and the initial born again experience, which is awesome and necessary. And if that's all he did, that would be good enough. But it's not. It also includes things like healing for our bodies, deliverance, And prosperity. So, just in a natural chain of events or inquisitive minds would ask, okay, I'm a Christian. I believe what you're saying. I believe what the Word is saying. I have these things. So, where are they? (laughs) That's a fair question. So we're learning about how to appropriate, how to get into this natural realm, what is in our spiritual bank account, as it were. And not only how to appropriate it as a Christian, but also how we can hinder or keep it from coming into this natural realm where we can use it in the sweet now and now. (laughs) Okay? Because up to this point, and based on a lot of ministers that you may have seen on TV, 
telling you to send them $59.99. And God is going to really bless you. Yeah. It might sound to this point about the blessings and everything that it's just uh, sort of like a magical system to be learned, you know, to be played, to provide for all your needs. And that's, it's been relegated to that in some settings. A sort of divine ATM, as it were. And man, that leaves a lot of people feeling bewildered. But let's, again, let's don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because it's real. God has commanded the blessing on you. And Jesus has given you his authority in the earth. When he left, he sat down at the right hand of the Father because he's done here. And he gave us his authority, his power, and his blessing. So now we are commanders. Kings and priests. What God has commanded, what God has commanded, you can't just have anything that you desire out of your carnal mind, but what God has commanded into your spiritual account, you command out of the spiritual account into the natural. Faith has feet and faith speaks. Yet, many in the church are living defeated lives. They can be found playing the victim right along with the rest of the world. Stuck. Just trying to earn things which have already been freely given. Living sick. Living defeated. Demonized. Poverty stricken. When God has given us the kingdom. Now, when we learn from the word, from anointed teaching, any area where it might speak directly to us, like God's reading our mail or just picking on us, you should never take it that way. It's always about you. It's always about you, unless you want to judge anybody else. It's like... All prophecy, matter of fact, is like eating fish. You eat the good part and you spit out the bones. If it doesn't apply to you, disregard and say, check, I'm good right there, Lord. Thank you. You already taught me that one and I applied it to my life. Right here now is where I need to work with you. Okay? So don't ever take it as that. He, he chastens those he loves. He, and he does that by his word. He doesn't put sickness and poverty and divorce and ugly things on us to teach us lessons. He teaches us through his word when we humble ourselves and are teachable. Amen. So I want to talk to you today about just one of the things <clears throat> that I believe keep many from receiving the blessings God has bestowed upon them. Probably nobody here. But even still, there's a need to, to have understanding of this problem, even if it is just to identify and to pray for those that struggle with it in the future. Amen. <laughs> Truthfully, all of us can trip over this problem from time to time. 
So it's good to be aware of the pitfall. Go to Numbers chapter 22. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. (laughs) Then Deuteronomy. Yep. Numbers chapter 22. And we're going to look at a guy and learn from his example. His name is Balaam. And he's mentioned a a few times in the Bible. But here in Numbers 22, just to kind of save time, I'll tell you, this is uh, the Israelites. They had been wandering out in the desert. This is on their second approach to the promised land. They had just come through and and defeated the... uh, uh, an army of, uh, uh, of the Amorites uh, who came against them. And, you know, anyone that opposed God's people, he tended to do that too. And now they're at the plains of Moab, another country, and they were terrified of them because they knew what they had done to these other people. And uh, the king of the Moabites, he, um, his name was Balak. B-A-L-A-K. And uh, he was king of Moab and, and he was afraid and he sent messengers to this man named Balaam. Balaam was known for being able to bless and curse like a warlock, sort of. And he was effective at it. And, and he sent for this Balaam to, to curse Israel, the, the army of the Israelites and the people, so that they wouldn't be able to destroy his army. Amen? So that's, that's what was going on here. And uh, he, so he sent some representatives with some, with some treasure to go talk to this man, okay? Uh, and in the seventh verse, I'll just start reading in the 22nd chapter of Numbers. The elders of Moab and Midian left, taking with them the feed for divination. In other words, they're going to pay this guy, Balaam, off. When they came to Balaam, they told him what Balak had said. That these people had come out of Egypt and they covered the face of the land and have settled next to me. And now come and put a curse on these people because they're too powerful for me. Perhaps then I'll be able to defeat them and drive them out of the country. For I know that those you bless are blessed and those you curse are cursed. So they went and they, they, they went when they came to Balaam. They told him what this king had said. And he told them, spend the night here and I'll bring you back the, what God says to me in the morning. So they stayed there. And in the night first, God came to Balaam in the night and he asked him, what are these men with you? See, God never answers questions that he doesn't know the answer to. Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, sent me this message. A people that has come out of Egypt covers the face of the land. Now come and put a curse on them for me. Perhaps then I'll be able to fight them and drive them out. But God said to Balaam, Do not go with them. You must not put a curse on those people because they're blessed. 
In other words, I've blessed the Israelites and you're not going to curse them. The next morning, Balaam got up and he told these people, go back to your country. The Lord has refused to let me go with you. Now, that was smart so far. So the Moab princes went back to their king. Balaam refused to come with us. Then Balak sent other princes, more numerous. So he sends more people, a bigger entourage with more money, more distinguished than the first. And they came to Balaam and said, this is what Balak, son of Zippor, says. Do not let anything keep you from coming to me. Because I will reward you handsomely and do whatever you say. Come and put a curse on these people for me. But Balaam answered, he's still holding strong. Even if Balak came, gave me his palace filled with silver and gold, I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. Now stay here overnight, as the others did, and I'll find out what else the Lord will tell me. All right. <laughs> now he's pushing it. Okay. Well, that's a lot of money. I better check with him one more time. <laughs> Maybe the money will change God's mind. <laughs> you see how foolish we get when we start, <laughs> we start trying to reason. <laughs> that night, God came to Balaam. Watch this. That night, God came to Balaam and said, Since these men have, have come to summon you, go with them. But do only what I tell you. So he tells him, okay, go ahead. Go with him. But I'm going to tell you what to do and you do what I tell you. Now look at the very next verse, 21. Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. Verse 22. But God was very angry when he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. <coughs> when I read this the first time, I couldn't... I mean, I finished reading the, the chapter and the next one. And I looked around at some other things in this Bible. <coughs> but I couldn't go any further with God until he explained himself to me. <laughs> He told him to go, but it was mad when he went. All right, let's just go on. Balaam, <laughs> Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw that... Okay, the, I forgot to leave this part in the 22nd. God was angry when he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Okay, now that's bad. Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. Now remember, one angel killed 180,000 people in one night. And only because God stopped him did he stop. <laughs> so this is no one to fool around with. So when the donkey saw this, she turned off the road into a field. And Balaam beat her to get back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between two vineyards with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat her again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn either to the right or to the left. 
when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she laid down under Balaam. And he was angry and beat her with his staff. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth. And she said to Balaam, what have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Balaam answered the donkey. (laughs) How far off this guy was. You have made a fool of me. If I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. The donkey said to Balaam, am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. The angel of the Lord asked him, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If she had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now. But I would have spared her. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I I didn't realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if you're displeased, I'll go back. He ends up going on and to this King Balak's dismay, three times he has him in different places on this top of this mountain and moves him over to this one and over to this one. And every time, instead of cursing them as he was supposed to, he blessed the Israelites. <laughs> and, uh, and you know basically what happened. You know, they did defeat them. But Balaam later on died in that country. Chasing after his riches and when the Israelites came back and, and killed them all. But why was, why was God man? I mean, he told him to go. You see right there, back in the, in the beginning when he, when, he, when he first asked God about this, he told him no, right, in the 12th verse. That's not why God was mad though. Because later on, he did tell him, yes, go, right? In the very next scripture, he was mad that he went. Man looks on the outer appearance. God looks at the heart. This guy's motives were bad, dirty. His heart was not pure towards God. Even though Balaam followed what God told him to do he didn't go to please God but because of the great rewards that were promised him and the honor that Balak said he would bestow upon him Peter compared this to wicked people who had crept into the church in his day this was hundreds of years later after Jesus had already come and gone and Peter was preaching in the new church And he compared this event to how wicked people had crept into the church and and really nothing has changed. It's the same now and and it always will be. It's described by Jesus in the Bible. The wheat and tares will grow together and the angel of the Lord will sort them out on the day of reckoning. 2 Peter chapter 2. I'll just read it real quick where he mentions this. Second Peter chapter two. 
got my old Bible here with me because this is the Bible where God showed me these truths. And it was so powerful to me. It's still very, very close to my heart when I minister about this message because I can remember pouring through this Bible, which all the pages are falling out of and just being held together by this cover now. But I love it. It's like an old warm blanket to me. Second Peter chapter two, verses 15 and 16. Peter says, <clears throat> he's talking about these people. He says, and going back to the 13th verse, they will be paid back with harm for the harm they've done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. Their blots and blemishes reveling in their pleasure while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They're experts in greed and a cursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, a beast without speech, who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. <laughs> that is hilarious. God... I always take comfort. God used a donkey, he used a chicken. So when I wonder what he's doing with me, I say, well, maybe you can use anybody. But the point of this is that it looks like God wants us to do the right thing for the right reason, doesn't it? I would say that's a very good thing to think on. In the book of Hebrews... Way back in, right past, uh, let's see, right before Peter, um, look at the fourth chapter, in the twelfth and thirteenth verse. Four, twelve. Say amen when you got it. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes or intents of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everyone, everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. It's so silly, the games we play with God. <laughs> he knows everything. He loves us anyway. But our motives mean everything to God. I'll never forget the day before God showed me this in the Bible. I was seeking him regarding this apparently schizophrenic behavior of his, right? <laughs> I say that in all respect. He knows that because it wasn't schizophrenic. We know God knows why he does everything he does and he has good reason. But to me it was odd and I needed him to explain so I could know him better because I 
was really just falling in love with God and I was just soaking up His Word and His ways and I just wanted His ways in my life. And I wanted to understand Him better. And I knew that you could because the Word says so. If you seek Him, you will find Him when you seek Him with your whole heart. So, I was seeking Him and I and my wife had, we had given um, a couple of ministers, pastor and his wife, uh, a place to live, a house that we owned to live in for a time. And it was in our own neighborhood, a few blocks away. At the time, uh, all I had was a little old push mower made by Weed Eater. It wasn't self-propelled, and I have a big old backyard. So I would mow my yard but first, I would go down to the church house and mow their yard. And it was giant, corner lot, oversized, and it was just huge. And I would go down there and I would mow that. So I was mowing it one day and I was tired. It was hot. And <clears throat> I had gotten the front done, the back. And there was a detached garage. And in the backyard, the yard wrapped around the garage like that there. And there was this little strip on the other side of the garage that was fenced in. You couldn't see it. And it was like always grown up, you know, extra. And I was hot and I said to myself, I remember saying, man, I'm just going to leave that till maybe next week. Nobody will see it. And just as clear as day, but I don't think it was out loud, but in my heart, in my mind, I heard God say, I'll see it. And I was like, yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm, I, I went and I mowed it. And I understood. I understood what he meant. And so is this all just about doing the right thing? Well, yes, in a sense. But it's deeper than that. The greater point is this. Why? And this is what God would ask. If pertaining to the impression that he put upon me about the lesson he was teaching me. Why was I mowing only that which could be seen? If it was truly for God. Then it seems that I would have started with the harder, more neglected area of the yard. You see what I mean? Who was I doing it for? What was my motivation? <laughs> and it goes deeper. If I find that it is all about God, and I can convince myself it's all about God, I still need to know my motive. Right? 1 Corinthians 13.3. Talk about it all the time. If I give away all that I have. And I deliver up my body to be burned. But I have not love. Then I gain nothing. So. Giving to the poor in this particular instance. This scripture. Giving to the poor. Laying down my life for someone else. Good things. 
right? Big things. I mean, those are, those are huge. Giving all that I have, laying down my life. But, so, does it say that those things don't matter? No. It helped those people anyway. Whoever I did it for, they're going to benefit greatly. But to know whether it helped me or not, God looks at the motive. Why did you do it? Unless you're motivated by God's kind of self-sacrificial love, then he says it has profited you nothing in his eyes. If you did it for fame and recognition or money or the things of this world, then there's your reward. But you won't get one from God for that thing. Because if you live holy, and we'll talk probably next week about why we should live holy. There are lots of good reasons. But if you live holy, you attend church regularly, you give the first tenth or the tithe of your increase to your church. (coughs) You make offerings and you study the word. You try and earn the favor of God. Because of it, if you think it's a debt or obligation or you're doing it out of guilt or remorse to earn God's blessing, then your motive is wrong. Why? Because you think in that particular situation that God is responding to you. Instead of you responding to Him. If that's your motive, it profits you nothing. This this is hard teaching. This is like drinking out of a fire hydrant. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Because to to know the truth about yourself, you have to take a close look at yourself and this Word and spend time with God and let Him be real with you. And you just have to say, okay, okay. This is why many people live defeated, live sick, live impoverished, demonized lives. In many cases, they're doing all the right things, but then they're putting their faith in themselves, in those things that they've done. Hoping that it's enough to appease God and to cause Him to respond positively in their life. But that's not Bible faith, is it? To release the kind of faith that God has called us to, the kind of life of faith that God has called us to, we have to be trusting in what God has done for us through Jesus. Not in what we're doing for God. The world does the same thing. Trying to appease their conscience. Not knowing God, but they have this inner voice. They're trying to quiet the inner voice, their conscience, the part of them that knows God and is drawn to Him. But is conflicted and confused by the lies and the deceptions of the God of this world, the devil. And all his rhetoric, his noise, always competing for their time and attention. So they try to do better. 
And here's what happened. I won't be a racist. I will not destroy the world or the trees. <laughs> the ozone. <laughs> I will not leave a carbon footprint or allow my children to. Then, sometimes, what happens? They become the judge of others in these same issues. You see? And before long, the things that they may have ventured into to appease their own conscience has converted them into hateful, judgmental, violent in many cases. And the things... They thought were good causes. The devil has perverted into things that are destructive to them and to others. Babies being slaughtered in the name of freedom. The beauty and power and symbolism of marriage as a picture of Christ in the church that was created by God has been perverted. People motivated by their feelings instead of by God's truth. And then... As it turns out, these people who were standing up for everyone's rights and all this, now all of a sudden the only speech that is protected is 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 the speech that agrees with them. And Christians getting caught up in the same deception of the world, even though God says friendship with the world is enmity or makes you an enemy of God. There's lots of reasons to live holy. Lots. And I I think I'm going to talk about it next week so that we'll just keep going into this. But Romans 6, 2 tells us we're dead to sin. We're we're dead to sin. It's not not who we are anymore. And in in Romans 6, 15 and and 16, it says, don't you know that whoever you yield yourselves to obey, to who you're obedient to, that's who you are the slave to. Either slave to sin unto death or to righteousness unto God and eternal life. That's not a hard choice. Hebrews 12, right in the opening verse, it talks about set aside the sin and the weight that encumbers you in this race that we're in. This is a race. It's a battle. It's a war. It's a a beautiful Salvation that we've entered into. But he says sin is a weight that encumbers you in this race. It's just not who you are anymore. For Christians though, holiness is a fruit, not the root of salvation. In other words, it's a byproduct of right relationship with God, not a means to obtain it. So holiness, while being of the utmost importance in the life of a Christian, more important than we can possibly ever know, but the motive, the motive behind it is more important, is what God is saying today. If you think that God only blesses you, here's why. This is not a mean teaching. This is why. If you think that God only blesses you in response to your degree of holy living, 
then the devil will always be able to talk you out of your inheritance. You're not good enough. You're unworthy. I remember what you did, and so do you. This is not for you. Who do you think you are? And apart from Jesus, he would be right. But you are not apart from Jesus. He is in you and you are in him. And you have the same rights and privileges as he does himself. When God sees you, he sees Jesus. And he has credited your account with everything that Jesus earned. Not, not what you deserve. The problem with people trying to deserve and thinking that they're, they've been so good that they're good enough is that there's always some area that they're not. And that's where the condemnation will come in. That's where the devil will come in and eat their lunch and pop the bag. Base your entitlements on what Jesus has done. Not on what you deserve. It's imperative. In Revelation, and I'll just stop here. In the fifth chapter, the ninth and tenth verse. Revelation 5, 9 and 10. Don't be afraid of Revelation. It's a beautiful book written about how Jesus is dealing with your enemies and elevating you. <laughs> I love these scriptures here. Revelation 5, verse 9 and 10. Wait a second. No. I want to read. That's not what I was looking for. I'm going to read first from Revelation 1, 5 and 6. Yep. And from Christ Jesus, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests. To serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. And then 5, 9 and 10. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. Because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests. To serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. That's talking about you. You're kings and priests. And you are going to live and reign with Jesus Christ here on this earth for a thousand years and then with Him for all eternity in heaven. It's a beautiful thing. This is not scriptures talking about something that people can do for themselves 
This is talking about a people whom God loves and has done for them what they never possibly could have done for themselves. And that should be very refreshing to those of us who have tried so hard to be good enough for God and others to know that we can rest in His finished work for us and be at peace. And then do all the good things and live the holy life He's called us to because we're free and out of love and and admiration and respect for Him. But not as something we have to do to earn the relationship, but as a byproduct, like I said, of the relationship we already enjoy. Because that's who we are now. His family, His children. Amen? Amen. Father, thank You for loving us the way You do. Thank You for teaching us about You and all the things that You have done for us. You, Father, You, Jesus, You, Holy Spirit. What an amazing victory You have won for us. Help us to rest in Your finished work on our behalf, to rest in Your love and Your peace, to cast away all fear and doubt and worry and pain, knowing that no one can take us away from You. Help us to stand strong in faith, trusting in You and Your what You've earned, not what we earned, not what we're entitled to because of our own efforts, but because of what You have given us as a free gift, the grace that You have given us through the atonement. Thank You, Lord, for loving us this way. In Jesus' name, Amen.